Welcome to Discover the Difference, a podcast brought to you by C3. I'm your host, Jamie Reed, alongside my sometimes lavender-wearing co-host, Gabriel Earl. Today, we have a -a one-of-a-kind guest in Mana Kadar. And if you've never met somebody who at 16 acquires her own business and then levels it up multiple times to build a beauty empire, Today's your day because Mana is like no other. She brings spunk, energy, and professionalism to everything she does, and she's going to inspire you with her story. So enjoy this podcast with Mana. Why don't, why don't you just give us a little backdrop on Mana Kadar Beauty and how we got to this this place how you, why you're in this pink palace yes you're and it's beautiful i love it <laughs> thank you so um i started out in the beauty industry when i was 16 and i had an opportunity to purchase a retail cosmetic store in the Brea mall here in orange county so at this, 16 you did yeah literally so, you bought a company at 16 i bought a retail location and its inventory sure a company yeah okay yeah <laughs> Wow. When I was 16. It, it, it came about through relationships, right? And actually, I used to work for a risk management or insurance broker what? Um, back Are in the day. you just holding that back until we went live? <laughs> oh, now we're aligned. Get, we're yes. Aligned. So I worked with this insurance broker. I was his, his admin um, at the time, and he had very high net worth, you know, celebrity clients in, in Beverly Hills. So I would answer the phones. And I know who he is. Probably, I'll, I'll tell you later. Um, so I would answer all the phones and I was like the main person that, that the, everyone, the conduit between, you know, him and his, his clients. And they didn't know how old I was cause I was so professional for 16, <laughs> right? So anyways, there, there was one client in particular I was doing a lot of work for and he happened, um, to be remarried and he purchased this location for his wife and she thought she wanted to run, um, a retail beauty location and it sounds glamorous when you get into the nitty-gritty of having a retail store it's like in a mall it's 362 days a year it's teeny bopper employees um you know so it's it's very very challenging to operate so he's like you seem like a bright person he's never met me in person so he's like well here's the opportunity to purchase a store what do you think and i'm like sure like i really didn't (laughs) recognize um what purchasing a business would entail right so i had you know how could you Sixteen. Ignorance is bliss. Absolutely. Yeah. So mom had saved all of my, you know, birthday money, Christmas money, Chinese year money. And at the time in banking, I could walk up to the bank and still like withdraw money without my mom having to co-sign or whatever it was. So um, purchased the business and this was 2006. Economy was doing pretty good, but Wait, um, so, so you walk into the bank and you're like, I'm taking all my money out? It wasn't all of it, but it was a lot of it. And they ask you what you're doing with it or no. at 16? No. No? You're just like, all right, I'm I, taking I, this I to was, closing. You, know, you just took it out in cash, put it in a brown paper yeah, bag. Just and like a little, you know, uh, check. And, and anyways, <laughs> so what was cool was that I just had to assume the lease. I didn't have to start a new lease because otherwise I, I don't think my, my credit would You'd have qualify. Been, yeah. yeah. But, um, and... So it began. One store led into the next and the next and the next. And then um, within uh, six years, I had seven stores. I went from Orange County, San Diego County, and then uh, Fashion Show Mall in Las Vegas. So wow. I, I figured out the model of, of you know how to make that successful. And um, 
it was a really cool experience. You know, there was a lot of people, men and women, that would walk into the store, and each person had a really unique problem, whether it's color that they're looking for, a hot date, you know, something that they're trying to fix. Like, I, you know, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with this or that. Like, let's find a solution for these people. So, um, you know, it was a grind. Like I said, many, many days, uh, employee pool was challenging because usually people that work at the mall, like it's not a career job for them. So they're not putting all their resources and investing a lot of time and education into that. So, um, and how old are you when you had all these stores from 16 to 21? So 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 how were you doing that while in high school? And college, I would do it after after high school, and then I then I went to SC. So then I would I would basically schedule all of my classes like the earliest possible, like at I think eight o'clock to eleven or twelve, and then from twelve to nine I would be in the stores and then repeat, repeat, repeat. Wow! And so I went to B school, business school, and so my business school professors really they're like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm gonna I'm, I have to leave early. I can't be at this um, what do they call it lab or whatever it was like the extra classes. I'm like, I have to go do the business, right? Because we're here to do business. Going to the real lab. Yeah, Yeah. so it was really a cool experience. It was was almost like akin to having like an MBA type of experience because I would learn marketing concepts. Like, oh, cool, let me apply it directly to what I'm doing, um, you know, in the stores at the time. So I had the stores all the way up until 2001, 9-11 happened. And then it was very eerie because the malls were just empty. Mm. Like, there is basically the people that work there, and that was it. So uh, I, I had several offers before to purchase the, the chain, and at that time I was like, you know what, I'm kind of burnt out with this. So I sold the chain, graduated college, and then um, I had a finance degree. So one of my friends was like, I, you know, I'm, I just got a job as a business analyst at Comerica Bank. You want to interview and I'm like okay I had no idea what a business analyst was even but apparently I said enough to get the job so then I went into corporate banking for a number of six or seven years after that and uh, learned all about corporate finance lending structures and by the end of it I was uh, managing the med device division at a regional bank here wow so you went from being an entrepreneur at 16 to uh, corporate world what was that like like running your own company to uh, working yep. for the for the man, like literally the man. Um, it was it was an interesting transition, and it wasn't not so much from a um, management perspective. Like I actually really appreciated learning different types of structures. You know, meetings, what corporate meetings look like versus you know just casual meetings that you have with employees. Um, it was very political, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and so and there's lots of rules and lots of reports. And um, at the time, it was still very much a male-dominated industry. And I've never been um, afraid of that challenge. Like, for me, I was like, okay, well, let me just prove myself through performance, which is what I did. And that's how I rose the ranks so quickly. So that was that was a great challenge to overcome but the wardrobe sucked. Like, this is back in the day where you had to wear, like, pantyhose still. And I'm like, oh, my God, pantyhose. <laughs> like, that could have been almost a singular reason why I wanted to exit corporate banking. But it was just a stuffy industry, you know, lots of yeah. rules. And, um, but I really appreciated learning the other side of business. Like, there's doing the actual 
business, but then learning the, all the financial models and structures behind it and taking my education and learning like where the numbers flow and how they flow and why they flow. And it has really helped to catapult me to where I am, you know, today. Well, so you rise through the ranks there. Then what's the next transition? So <laughs> I was, I was bored really with the corporate banking model. And I was like, okay, let me try to find a business. I wanted to like dip my toe back into entrepreneurship. So let me find a business that would, I would, I could still kind of keep my job because it was, it was a nice cushy job, lots of days off and, you know, uh, lots of vacation time. And while I can still kind of manage a business on the side, what business can you do that where it semi-automates itself? And as you and I both know, it's like, it doesn't, doesn't exist. exist. <laughs> Otherwise, no. everyone would have done that. But I was like, tanning salons. Okay, this is tanning salons. Like, think about this like 20 years ago. Yeah, I'm from yeah. Missouri. We had yeah. a lot of yeah. those. Tanning yeah. salons, right? So I was like, okay, there's a machine. The machine does all the work. And there's a attendant in the front. You know, so pretty simple. So there, there was a tanning salon for sale. And the financials were pretty good. So I purchased the, the tanning salon business. And uh, funny enough, I had a lot of fun just owning and operating this little tanning salon, more fun than I did, you know, at this like corporate gig. And so I decided to exit. I was like, you know what, I'm just going to take a leap of faith. And, and at the time, my idea was to, um, I figured out the tanning salon model and how to make it successful. So I'm like, let me just replicate that. Um, and that's what I embarked on doing so one of the one of the strategies was to you know to have every square footage be like usable square footage these for whatever reason tanning salons had these like huge lobbies that there was nothing Nobody to be using. sold or there's they sold bathing suits which nothing wrong with selling bathing suits but like you can't really do a lot of bathing suit sales there so i created a beauty bar where you know we offered services um that were cutting edge at the time so like eyelash extensions before anyone was doing that threading before anyone was doing that you know lots of different products where people can come to that location. They're obviously going there to look good, right? So why don't we give them as mm. many options as possible to be like a one-stop shop? It's like a cross-sell. Yeah, it it is. Coming in for the tanning and you're yeah, going to sell exactly. them on the eyelashes. Yeah, and then we had skincares. You can get a facial there. You can do your eyelashes there. Yeah. You can get your brows threaded there. Um, you know, all that stuff. And so we didn't have cosmetics. And I thought, okay, well, you know, let me... Build put, my own. Put my own cosmetics line there. And again, like had I hindsight, like had I known all the challenges that, that I've encountered now, it would be, I would still have made the, the decision because I wouldn't be sitting here with you guys today had, it, had I not. But um, that's kind of where it started. I'm like, oh, I have my own retail distribution with my tanning salon chains. And so. Oh, so you started opening multiple tanning salons? Yeah. So 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 what I would do is I would I would find underperforming tanning salons and usually it was the owner operator that really didn't understand how to operate a business because the there were very few barriers to entry to own a tanning salon you can just buy the beds lease a space and boom there you go but as you guys know there's like there's marketing there's sales there's employee management there's so many things that go into it so one salon i got for free Actually, I was, I was like, here, take it. We're done. <laughs> well, I targeted that salon because it was right by a uh, university, Cal State Fullerton here. And, and it was in a Target shopping center. It's a really good location. But they were so in the red. I was like, I'll, I'll, I will give you, I don't 
I know, it was like five or ten thousand dollars just for your customer list for you to just walk away and I would renegotiate the lease with the landlord. They were very offended and they decided not to take the deal. But then the landlord locked them out anyways because they didn't make their lease obligations. Yeah. So then I called the landlord and I said, Okay, I'll take this over for you. So they gave me free rent for like a year or something, you know, to remodel and to get it up and running again. I contacted the owner again and I said, Okay. I'll give you the five or ten thousand I had offered you for the customer list because that's where that's what I really needed. And so basically, I was back in business with that salon. Just and they said yes yeah. that time, and I got all the equipment for free because they abandoned like yeah. they abandoned basically their their lease. Wow. So yeah, so stories like so. That. How many of those did you build? Three, three of yeah. those. Three. I stopped because then I started the cosmetics line, and it started to take off. So. With the tanning salons, you can only reach a small geographic community, right? Like you can only touch really it's three to five mile radius of of potential patrons within that area. With the cosmetics line, obviously, you know, you can reach the sky's limit. Every female or a man in, in, in on the universe, right? So I started having some traction there and well, how did you start that? Like I well, know okay. you said, Hey, I wanna put cosmetics here because had experience in it, but mm-hmm. how did you, you know, go about? Hey, I want to ma- start manufacturing my own brand and creating that. Um, it was just through contacts and relationships. Again, it at the time there's no Google, right? So you can't just Google, you know, who makes cosmetics and you know call them. So it's, it's just purely relationship driven. And even you know today, there are very few few companies you can't unless you're like a, an Etsy kind of a company where you're making small batches in your home with very natural products. If you're trying to mass produce anything, um, very few manufacturers will even talk to you because there's so many people that want to, I want to You're going to waste your time. Well, yeah, because it's, it's a lot of time, a lot of resources. And, you know, ultimately there are minimum order quantities, mm-hmm. MOQs. And most people, you know, you, when you start out, you can't hit those quantities. It's just, it's just too many. So it was through relationships that I um, started the initial line of, of products. Well, I'm curious, like, did you see something a gap in the marketplace to decide I'm going to create my own products versus just sell some other product line? Yeah, yeah, that, that's a good question. So this was uh, this is almost 13 years ago now, and basically there was high end product, and then there's like uh, drugstore products and at the time there wasn't really something quite in the middle and then so I wanted to hit that like middle market we call it affordable luxury where it's still accessible to you know average everyday person but at really great price points and beyond that all of the products were um, multifunctional long wear um, innovative so a lot of the time most women say you know I don't have time I don't have time I don't have time to to do makeup but really it's um it should be something that you can do very quickly and easily and shouldn't take, you know, blocking off that much time in your schedule to do. So I wanted to give women the tools to like look good and feel good in a very short amount of time. What's an example of that? So like well, you're not talking to the most educated makeup guys sure, here. So sure. <laughs> really? <laughs> so, and what's a lot of time, but we not, are going to try it later, Gabe, right? Yeah. You have to take all my tips and tricks and I want you to show me what you've learned today. So as an example, most women um, struggle with lip products. 
and it's like they, they put on the lip product and it's like you put it on multiple times a day. It's like always reapplying, reapplying, reapplying. So I created a product called Lip Locked and it has a primer in it. Primer, think of it similar to like when you're painting the house, you prime the walls first. Prime the lips, you put the product on and it stays put. So we've been talking for what, like even before this, like an hour, maybe an hour and a half. And my lip color is still there. It's still vibrant. I'm not having to reapply. And you'd be hard-pressed, like, even throughout the day to find me, like, reapplying, you know, lip color. So even something as simple as just applying a lip color and not having to continually reapply the product um, is is an example of, like, making something easier for a woman to just use the product without having it disrupt her day, really. Creating innovative products yeah. for for you know the marketplace, and that's really where where our products differentiated themselves. Because initially, when I started, this is when ecom was just getting going. So I thought I'm gonna just you know put the products on the web, then it'll sell. sell. We'll get a <laughs> yacht, sipping bubbly, and like that will just ride into the sunset. And that just didn't quite happen. So it was um, many many different iterations of modifying the marketing messaging to really understand where the brand can fit in the marketplace. Because it, it's a very um, saturated, I wouldn't call it saturated. There's a lot of players. Competitive. Yeah. It, it's competitive. And there's a lot of players in the market, but it really was figuring out, you know, what retailers to align. Like, where are we going to distribute this product? Because just because I know it's cool and it doesn't get into the hands of consumers then it doesn't matter right so to back up just one sec so you still have the three salons and and now you get this idea that hey this product can go bigger and you're trying to find that place to to get traction Mm -hmm. and so was it a conscious decision i'm going to run these salons still simultaneous until we i get to this place where I assume you don't own those anymore, do you? No. Okay, no, so I got th- at some point you're going to yeah. let go of those. Right. But it you were intentional, right? Like, there's this redundancy pattern I see, you know, like school in 16 and, you know, owning salon or owning the retail. retail. And then you're working on your MBA and, and owning, you know, uh, the tanning salons. And then I even see it now. You know, you're a mom and you're running a business. It's like... There must be some reason you just like pain or <laughs> you're like glutton for punishment I just or something. Like to be very productive. No, I, I it wasn't intentional to like start the cosmetics line to think it was going to replace the tanning because at the time there was no revenue for for the cosmetics line. It was actually the tanning salon was funding, you know, uh. that operation. Um, so it was more or less like okay, you know what can I do with this? It was more of a challenge to see if there, if it had any legs. And so after the first year, I was like, mm, you know, m- maybe there's something here. And I think I just kept exploring more options. You guys are in sales, right? It's like you don't, you, you don't accept no. It's like a not right now. So right. it's like, okay, exactly. you just kind of you know, f- figure out who is going to say yes or give you an opportunity or give them enough reason to give you an opportunity. And very quickly... Um, I recognized that the cosmetics company could potentially be much, have much more opportunity than those tanning salons because, of the, as I explained, just the, re, uh, the, the regional reach, yeah. reach. So finally, um, we had some accounts here and there, and 
I converted one of the tanning salon rooms way in the back of the salon to like my international offices of the world. <laughs> so it's basically a 10 by 10 office that used to have a tanning bed in it, took the tanning bed out, put like a tiny little desk in, and it was next to the restroom, like similar, like right. this, this <laughs> far from the restroom, and there was a hallway. And there was uh, a buyer that was coming to meet me from one of the TV shopping networks. So this is like a big opportunity. So this, imagine the buyer, hi, I'm here to see Manicadar. And, you know, welcome to Island Tan. I'm here to see Manicadar. <laughs> okay. And so the associate walks her to my international offices of the world in the back. So she's passing these tanning salon beds. You hear the beds go, <laughs> you hear someone getting spray tan. <laughs> and you hear the, the, the tanning, um, self-tanning machine go, turn to the right, turn to the left, lift your arms. And, you know, so this lady is like walking down, literally my tanning salon to go to my office to meet me about my cosmetics company and potentially put me on air <laughs> or TV. And so uh, at that point, I was like, you know what? I think we need to grow up and have our own independent offices. Like if we have opportunities like this where legit buyers are coming in and they have an interest in the company, um, I think we need to finally take the leap and have our own dedicated offices where we look professional. But the funny thing was that the buyers who I still talk to now really appreciated that it started from something like that because, you know, you have to really... Um, be careful with your resources when you first get started. Like, I didn't want to have double rent and double the staff. And, you know, there are many times where we did get that TV shopping deal, by the way. I was going to ask. Yeah. And, you know, tanning salon employees were packaging things in the tanning salon and, like, customers have to go over boxes to go to their tanning. So I think everyone just were, everyone was just trying to, to, was, was so supportive. They're like, okay, I came with a tan. I'm, I'm happy to go past boxes. And, um, but we finally did have to move into our own offices. And shortly thereafter, that's when like, you know, we really s- took off. And I, I that, love that though. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it reminds us of us, I think I speak for him, but it's the same thing. You know, all the, all these successful brands you get to that you feel like overnight, like Jama, people are like, where did they come from? She's like, well, 20 some years of hard work <laughs> and being scrappy, you know, it's, right. and we had to make those sacrifices too. Like how do you, it's not fake it till you make it, but how are you like ultra resourceful and innovative with not bleeding out mm-hmm. in order to take that next step and level sure. up? And sure. I think people, like you were saying, they really respect when they see it. You know, especially people who have lived it are like, hey, I understand and appreciate that. Well, what's interesting is you mentioned, you know, for manufacturing, you need to have a certain amount of volume to, you know, make it where it's anybody, somebody will talk to you. And then you mentioned there's a connect, you know, it was connections that helped you. Um, Because, you know, manufacturing, you know, cosmetics is not an easy thing. Sure. Um, And so, you know, how do you do that in the beginning when you don't have the volume, you don't have the, you know, the TV um, you know, orders, you know, how does that start? So I think what, one of the things that I've always been good at is, is sales, right. And selling. So I recognize that at the time, um, there were beauty box companies that were just starting it to, to come up. So think of like, um, the birch boxes and do you know yeah, what those are? Yeah. So, so for a certain dollar amount per month, you pay for that. Like there's the box of goodies that you get. And so, I had known the um, one of the founders of one of those box companies, and I thought, okay, you know, in order to get certain MOQs, they had a pretty decent subscription 
subscriber count at the time. So I would sell product to them in addition, manufacture extra run for me. Mm. And it was a really great model in that. What a leverage point. Yeah. I got product into the hands of people so you couldn't use my product, see, feel, touch it. I got paid for the product that I put in this box. And then also I can manufacture extra for myself. You know, I may not have needed five, 10, 20,000 units, but I met the MOQ by doing a lot of these subscription box companies. And then I would get exposure, brand recognition, you know, all that's that genius. Stuff. Yeah. So I love that. So a lot of entrepreneurs talk about, you know, mentors or people that have helped them along the way. You know, a lot of the stories are, Hey, I didn't just, you know, you figure a lot of the stuff out on your own, but are there, are there people or were there people that um, supported you or, I mean, I guess the person that you met and the, you know, selling the boxes, mm-hmm. um, it could be somebody that, you know, was a contact that helped you. But are, can you, when you look back, is there, uh, is there anybody that, you know, supported you um, through this? I know you want the answer to be yes. No, it doesn't have to be well, yes. You know, if I, it's no, it's like, that's an, that's amazing. I think in this industry, in the beauty industry, uh, fortunately we do have a very supportive group of, of people. So, um, to your point, you know, the, the contact at, or the, one of the founders at Birchbox, we could, I always felt comfortable reaching out and saying, you know, what do you think about this? Like it wasn't necessarily like a mentor relationship, but it was very much um, like a sounding board, yeah. you know, brainstorm think tank. Actually, you know, prior to COVID, I actually put toge- together a beauty think tank of many different um, entrepreneurs within beauty and we would share successes challenges you know how how can we help each other that kind of thing so Mm. we did a lot of of that and many of us have supported each other with um, new opportunities or someone's going through something like how can we help them whether it's like different resources or just to be an ear you know and some people have exited yay you know let's celebrate Uh, so I feel that the industry has has done a lot of that and um, so just by virtue of having that internal network and support system within the industry. It's, it's kind of like everyone is supportive of each other. Yeah, yeah. Empathetic to mm-hmm. your position. Yeah. I, I want to go back to that decision though, to almost, almost like subcontract your manufacturing through Birchbox. Where, where's that idea come from? Because if you just turn on shark tank and there's 10 manufacturers that are on that show, they're there because they've kind of hit a critical stage to where they've got to be able to reduce their manufacturing costs and those things. And they're giving half their company away because they can't solve a problem that you creatively figured out how to do a different way. And that's like a, that's got to be a pretty huge moment for you to level up to that next stage in the company. Did it just come to you or? Yeah, pretty much. It was just, you know, when you're, when you're trying to find a solution to something and you really want to make it work, it's like you, you find a solution and you make it work, right? So that's, that's what happened in that situation. I, wanted, I needed to be creative in um, finding a way to, to meet these MOQs, right? So, so to be clear, I, I was still manufacturing these products. Um, the solution I was giving to these box companies, which, which ended up being a really great revenue stream, is I would give them cool, unique product to include in their box because that box was a, um, a place of discovery for their consumers that are purchasing it every month. It's like, you want something cool, like you don't want the same thing every month yep. and it's not interesting, right? And so I would 
intentionally create product similar to this little product that I was telling you about that was really unique and different so that when their subscribers did open it up, it was a really cool experience to go, oh, okay, I want more of this product. This was like test marketing. Yeah, it really was. And, you know, to this day, like we, we still have repeat customers from like way back when they received the box from a long time ago. So that's awesome. Yeah. So what's the next thing you, you get through that phase? How, what's the next step in that journey? I'm exhausted now just like going back through this. Like, <laughs> oh my God. That's a lot of work. We need to document the whole journey out of this <laughs> podcast. And um, let's see. So from there, so, so then, you know, it, it kind of snowballed into like legit skew, you know, skews and, are you um, taking money along the way or are you getting investors? This is all I, on I your own. I still have never had any investors. Wow. That's incredible. Still, still, I've been self-funded this entire time. That's is amazing. it incredible or is it like, should it, uh, I don't know. So some days I'm like, <laughs> maybe I should have investors. But I, I really like to be accountable to myself and, um, and not to a group of people. So it makes it easy just to self-fund and, you know, my, my wins are my wins and, my my failures are my fail forward moments and you know i love um, i love how gracefully she substituted the word control for accountable like that <laughs> that was masterful <laughs> oh well yeah i mean it, you know I, I it's hard you know when when you're when you're used to doing your own thing and when you yeah. accept um funding i mean it's you have opinions coming your way yeah uh so after you know, after that point, it was really okay. Well, how are we going to get this to to market and to as many hands as possible to really build the brand? So, you know, we started with um, some retailers who believed in the brand, and what we've done really well as a brand is create really beautiful product at affordable prices, right? So, like, you can go buy one lip gloss or lipstick for thirty, forty dollars, and not everyone can do that. And it's expensive, right? So you can buy one of ours for between ten and twenty bucks, um, and it looks really pretty on your nightstand. And and so that's where we we really hit our stride. And then from color cosmetics, then we created bath. And from, with bath, after that was done, we created men's, which you've experienced, and you're great models for, for for Mason Man. And this um, is why we look so good. We obviously. use your products. <laughs> Obviously, no, just kidding. You guys, you guys woke up that way, right? Yeah. And uh, after men's, and we have hair, and we have skincare, and it just kind of, it kind of went on and on. You tried to use men. your hair products; it didn't work so well. It backfired. <laughs> <laughs> so, so now we have a whole family of brands, and we're distributed globally in over forty-four thousand retailers, and we have some really cool opportunities coming up next year. And That's amazing. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. So cool. 44,000. Wow. We may double that next year. So you're in Nordstrom's, right? We're in Ulta, Macy's, um, Bed Bath, Urban Outfitters, and then like a bunch of other retailers globally that may not be noticeable to. Yeah. Do you sell direct to consumer online Mm -hmm. too? Yeah. Okay, cool. Awesome. So let's pivot. First time we met you was in... Park City mm-hmm. last year with Alder, and you were leading a discussion with probably 150, 200 people around kind of women in business mm-hmm. and what that's like. Mm-hmm. It's also where we got to meet Nancy. She was mm-hmm. passionately involved yes. in, in that discussion. Yes. Uh, and she's awesome. Hi, Nancy. Um, 
one of the things you said in that discussion was that people would ask you, like, did your parents fund this? Did your husband fund this? All that. First of all, I was shocked. I remember looking at you when she said that. We were sitting next to each other. And I was like, well, we got to talk to her and get her on our podcast because this is an interesting topic. I'm just shocked somebody would even ask that to begin with. And so I guess it's real, right? People have asked oh, you yeah. that before. People ask all sorts of interesting things. I remember when I was at SC and um, sorry if this sounds pretentious and, and lame, but like, you know, the car to drive back then was like, you know, the BMW three series. And I remember like purchasing my, my own. And I, what, one of this, one of my friends that was in the class, we were getting in my car to go grab a meal. And he was like, Oh, did your dad get this for you? And I was like, <laughs> Like no. Did you, did you open the door and let him out? <laughs> I mean, but it was like a legit, you know, legit yeah. question for for yeah. for the time, and I've I've gotten many iterations of that kind of question, um, and I'm not really sure why that's the case, but um, but yeah, I've I've got that question many. many what does times. that stir up when people mm. say, "Oh, did your husband fund this?" I think I, that's what you said, maybe yeah, in yeah. that thing. Like I, I. Usually it's people that don't know me that well that ask that question. So I like to give people the benefit of the doubt because perhaps they think that I'm so youthful looking that I, how could I possibly? <laughs> no, oh, that's a nice way. Yeah. That's a nice way to yeah, give yeah. people the benefit of the doubt. I don't know. I, I'm not really sure where that comes comes from. If, if anything, it's, it gives me more pride in going, you know, I did this myself. And then, yeah. then they're a little bit dumbfounded and don't know really what to say at that point. And I, I really don't take it, you know, offensively. Yeah. Um, well, you mentioned, you know, in the your banking experience and being in this kind of, you know, stodgy, old, probably white male mm -hmm. um, industry. Um, it didn't sound like you you didn't, you know, allow anything to hold you back. But what was like that, that experience where you know, when you do run into things that are, that, you know, feel sexist or, you know, they feel like you're being treated differently because you're a woman versus being, you know, a man, what, what is that? Um, how do you, you know, uh, respond to that? So it was a little bit interesting in that I, I don't know if there was like any sexism or like, I, I don't know what it was. It was just like a bunch of, it was like a bro club, you know, just a bunch of guys and they're like, inside jokes and chuckles and whatever it was and said so, like you're kind of just outside this this circle right like they're not welcome come on in it, it wasn't like that so um I don't think it's any different from overcoming any other obstacle whether it's like a business challenge or it's just, you just have to do the work and prove that you're badass and after that no one has really any other opinion other than she's freaking badass and, and that's it like there's nothing else to talk about you know so um i wasn't trying to be like bffs with these guys i just wanted to prove myself to them and all of a sudden then you're in you know all the conversations and then they want you to come join them for all the happy hours and and that's fine I, and and so a lot of times when i do hear that i don't earn enough or like for when I hear maybe perhaps other female or men say, you know, they don't earn enough, they weren't given X opportunity or Y. It's like, okay, well, you know, well, how, how do we overcome that then? Like, how, how do we earn more? You know, do we ask for more? Like, have we asked for more? Yes, no. 
I, I don't know the answer um, to that for these specific situations, but you know, in my case, I just had to take that into my own hands, and then, then it, then it, then all of that was really a non-issue, mm. right? So, Jesus, well, it sounds like you step into it and say, "Here I am," kind of. Which it's really just prove my own value. Yeah, deciding not to have like a victim mentality, right? That just driving it. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. You see it out there. Certain people's conditions they allow themselves to be conditioned to a victim mentality. Versus, I'm gonna drive through this. You know, right, right. Uh, Where's that? Because there's obviously a lot of drive slash motivation to do all the things. I even taking a job at 16 and a old white guy's industry takes what drive. Buying, what do you mean buying a business? You know? Yeah, all that. Um, where does that motivation come from? Is it innate? Or yeah, not everybody at 16 no. decides to run their own no, business. No, I think, I think it comes from mom. Like you were sharing a story with, with another person you had on the podcast. And so um, mom had like a really challenging story. So, you know, she and my dad, uh, they were in Paris and he was just not a good guy. He was, uh, you know, abused alcohol, drugs, um, abused her. My only memory that I have of him was like him, like literally like beating her. And I was, I closed this, the door and I put scotch tape on the door. Cause that's, that's going to keep him out. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, I, I don't know. I think it was maybe like two or three oh, at the time. And that's all I remember. But you know, wow. she, um, my grandmother came to raise me when I was seven days old and kind of like that movie, like not without my daughter, we, we literally fled in the middle of the night and she had you know just um she had like some gems and like just this is in france in france and so meanwhile you have to remember like she's an immigrant from vietnam she doesn't really she speaks french but like not fluently and then she's she's like fleeing to go to another country because dad was was ready to marry me off and send me back to uh lebanon how old were you i think three. Oh, was ready to marry you off at three or like a commit me to, like a plan. Like to my hubby, my, <laughs> my hubby to be. Wow. Uh, so she was just like, nope, like we're not, we're not having this. So, and so she found her way, you know, to America, the land of opportunity. And she worked, you know, in the morning, she was at the, at 3 a.m. She was at the bakery. Then after that, she went to work at a preschool kitchen. And after that, she worked at the restaurants in the evening. And then meanwhile, she got, um, a cosmetology license so she could do nails and she eventually you know she kept progressing um to other jobs that were be- ultimately she went to work at the post office had a good benefits you know just one job she didn't have to do three anymore but i saw her doing this and i yeah. i recognized um just the sacrifice and like grandma was at home and she was sewing um, items piecemeal and i remember like she would she would sew these belts and you have to make the corners of these belts like sharp so I would get a chopstick and I was like five and I was you know making sure the corners were sharp and it was like a team effort it was like wow. three of us were like we're doing this and so and you know she always really believed like education and that's that is how we're going to get out of this or not out of the situation but it, that's how we're going to have more opportunity, opportunity success yeah. and um she didn't always sh- love that I wanted to be an entrepreneur because that was not very safe. She did or did not? Did not. Did not. It was not very safe at all. She loved when I was in corporate banking. Yeah. You know, because it's okay, safe, yeah. you know. And uh, 
but she was, I'm, I'm an only child. So she was like, okay, well, okay. So, so she, she embraced it after she a while. Did, and, and, and she's like, this kid's different. <laughs> she's like, oh, it's so difficult, but different. Um, so that's where it comes from. I think just, yeah. you know, mom I, setting the pace. Mom setting the pace. What was your grandmother all? like? Grandmother? Uh, she, she was always my advocate. You know, like she, um, she had an arranged marriage herself and this is old school. Like this is, you know, where did she grow up in? She grew up in Vietnam. So they were Chinese that grew up in, in Vietnam. And, um, she and my mom always had like a difference of opinion. So (laughs) it's like my mom would say, this guy's blue. My grandma was like, it's purple. Like it's like, they just always, um, fought, but they, you know, they, they're both great. Grandma's awesome. Is she still around? She is in hospice care right now. Okay. So, but yeah, but she's, you know, she's lived a, a long. What does she think about your success? She still doesn't get it. Like she, she's <laughs> like, so she thinks I sell like cosmetics, like from a catalog and like, you know, I'm just taking orders and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, she, she, she doesn't quite understand what I do, but um, she's just concerned that I'm happy. Yeah. So. That's awesome. I think my grandma's the same way. I don't know if she knows what we do either, but they're just happy to see you happy. How yeah. about your mom? Yeah. What does she think about My it? My no. mom passed a couple years oh, ago. I'm sorry. And, you know, I think what was really cool was I always told her, Mom, I'm never having kids. I'm like, forget it. I'm sorry. I know I'm an only child, but just, you know, and then I met my husband. And then she, so she was able to, you know, spend four years with her, her grandkids. But she, she saw the company get to a point where, like she saw me on TV, like doing the TV shopping thing. She saw like the magazine cut. Like she, she saw it happen. And, um, you know, she's been with me when I've um, been able to accept awards. And it was really important for me to include her mm. so that she could see like, mom, like you did this. Like you helped do this. So, um, so That's yeah, cool. she, she was, it was awesome. Yeah. What uh, you and Gabe were talking before we started the podcast about some of the community work. Mm-hmm. Like how did how did that come to fit into all the other busyness in your life. So mom goes back to mom again. You know, she really, although we had very, very little where, when, when I grew up, like she always, always, always like gave back. So, you know, she would have me volunteering at the temple. Like I remember when our Buddhist temple had just built a library and I literally barcoded every book in that library and we went on um, these missions to, to give supplies out to these um, communities in Tijuana. And I remember like, we had really little, but we had t- took this big truck over there. And we were handing out candy, and these kids were just overjoyed with one piece of candy. And we would visit these mud huts that people would live in. And I was blown away by how simple these people's lives were but they all seemed to embrace what they had it was like you know that there wasn't like oh woe is me they were really grateful that we you know we brought supplies and they all seemed to enjoy life you know so just kind of gave me a different perspective on on things and ever since then it was like you know whether you know time talent treasure right so um I finally got to a point where I could give all three of those things. And so now, um, you know, with my husband, he grew up a little bit different in that he he wasn't as involved with volunteering. So now it's like a whole family affair where we have even like our our little ones come and like put boxes of things together with Miracles for Kids we were talking about. And 
um, so that they can understand um, how they can give back in even the smallest way. Yeah, you mentioned awesome. um, Miracles for Kids. And yeah. It came at a good time for you. What what was that about? What does that mean? Yeah, so Miracles for Kids, um, you know, fellow uh, older, older member of ours, Autumn Stryer, who's amazing, um, started this group, and it's it's to support underprivileged uh, kids with families at or below uh, poverty level. And they just help families in need when, I mean, as a parent, it just breaks my heart to think that these these families that um, are just struggling financially now have this unbearable burden of, you know, a sick kid. And I, I, I remember there was a day that I was supposed to bring the kids to, to go volunteer at Miracles to put these boxes together. And um, my daughter, who's six now, she was really, like, she was just like projectile vomiting everywhere. <laughs> And I, and it was, it was hard for me and it was hard for her. And I, I was like, oh my God, like these families have to d- live with this daily mm. for, I don't know how long until their kid is better, hopefully, yeah. if their kid ever gets better, you know? And I, I just, it was such, to just be in that for just that one day, it was just like, it was, it was heavy. And yeah. so, um, you know, we, we support them heavily. Like we very, very proudly uh, donate a ton of product to, um, now because for the whole family, right? We have men's products, women's products, yeah. uh, bath. Um, so that not just, um, you know, the, the kids all have fun toys and stuff, but like, I want to make sure that mom has just a little something for herself. Dad has something a little bit for himself, like brothers and sisters and everyone just has a little treat because there's, there's not a lot of light in their life. Like at that point, in that chapter that they're going through your kids are five and six Mm -hmm. what uh when you do that like what kind of questions or interaction do they have afterwards i think it's um i think it's well it's like okay well why don't these kids like we we just did um uh christmas Mm -hmm. you know wrapping with them um or more specifically back to school well why don't they have backpacks why don't they have pencils and I mean because they do like they you know right. no, no one's gifting us any of that I'm like because you know they don't have um they've had a different situation that has happened in their lives and we we are in a position to be able to help them and I'll, I'll point out like okay well you know here's the kid that's sick it's this age but they also have these siblings and their siblings need the backpacks too so it's really for them to understand that um Help them recognize that they are very fortunate to have the lives that they have and also recognize that people live differently. Because I know you guys are in San Diego County, Orange County. It's like, like there's no litter outside. Like, you know, they just live in this utopia. Right. And (laughs) if we travel anywhere else in the country or in the world, like, it's just, it's not like this. So, um, yeah, so there's, there's just... Kids ask the weirdest questions yeah. too, right? Like, right. can we go play with them? Like, sure. Like, let's you know, let's figure it out. So, yeah. Well, you mentioned um, you told your mom that you weren't planning to have kids. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, that wasn't that changed. true. <laughs> that was, that, maybe it was true at the time, but what was it the that um, what was the change? Um, My husband. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was a mandate. No, no, it was one of those things where I think I hadn't found the right person that I wanted to create a family with because the way I grew up, like we didn't have any type of traditional family, right? It was yeah. me, my mom, and grandma, 
And uh, poor mom, the guys that she did meet, or she just was unlucky in love. I mean, just never quite worked out for her. And I, I saw that, and I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to bring a kid into this world with, and deal with <laughs> that situation, you know. So I just, and grandma had a tough situation with her husband, grandpa, too. So there wasn't great father figures around, and there wasn't a, um, an example of of a solid family. So it didn't make sense to me, logically, to, to do that. Does, um, does any of that create hardship in your relationship with your husband to not have a male presence growing up? or I don't think so, because I think we're both really independent, and we got married late. We had kids later. Like, I had first one, I was 36 and 37. We got married when we were almost 40 each. So we both very much do our own thing and have our own companies and live our own lives. And so... You just kind of opt in on making each other happy yeah. together, but yeah. independently happy as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I think that's the best kind of relationship. And I think, like, we both understand that, like, we, we come from different backgrounds, so there is some grace that we need to give each other for certain situations. But I think he's had some familial issues, too, and so we very much both came in with our eyes wide open of what we wanted to create for our family, which is very different in a lot of ways than what both he and I grew up with. Hmm. Yeah, so. take the best of each world mm-hmm. and put them together. Yeah, exactly. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, this whole you know cosmetic world, um, it sounds like you're coming, you come from this place and talking about you know the giving back of you know this idea of self-care. And that sounds like I hear that from you, that's really important. Why is that? Are you yeah. talking about her getting in a cold tub soon? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, if, her husband's list, if her husband's no, listening, she committed to three minutes <laughs> in the cold plunge today. You know, I remember, the, and I can't speak to the mottos that you have, but there's, you know, you just have this motto of, you know, looking good, feeling good. Yeah. Um, and so we're, is that just something that you've always felt, or, or is this a marketing thing that, you know, you came up with? I, I do firmly believe that. Like, even during COVID, remember when everyone was just like, I give up, I'm going to be in sweats. And, you know, I literally did my hair and makeup every day, came to the office, came dressed. Yeah, you always look good. Thank you. Thank you. I may or may not have gold Uggs on. I know Mia is like, I can't even find a picture of her not looking oh. dialed <laughs> out. You. But, you know, I'm, I made it a point to put myself together. Because when I do that, I feel better about myself um put your a-game jacket on yeah like and then you know then i then i have my a-game on all the time like if, if you can imagine like someone rolling in here like well i don't want to buy cosmetics from her because she looks like you know <laughs> someone ran over, ran over by a car it's just like you you're know, gonna you be know, your own billboard you really do and um and i i feel like it's it's a few minutes for myself too it's almost like it's own meditative yeah moment you know in your day where I don't know what men do. Like, maybe it's a doing I mean, when I'm doing my hair, I feel the same way, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you have to, you know, it's like, isn't it kind of like therapeutic? It kind of is, yeah. Right? And so... Although my wife hates that at the end of the day, she'll be doing this whole uh, stripped-down process of taking things off and then adding things on. And I kind of come in and brush my teeth, grab some stuff and slap it around, don't wash my face, and she's just appalled by it. So I think that's my next step in, in my self-care journey is, like, learning some of that stuff. Well, I 
volunteer to help you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think it's important, and and not just like the makeup thing, but you know, when when we were in Ohio together, we we did yoga together, and I was like, hey, there's this this um, crystal session that um, is like an energy healing Reiki, and a couple times a year, I take solo locations, like husband's at home with the kids or and I like I don't I go by myself somewhere I bring books and sometimes I'm at a retreat where it's very specific other times I'm just at a resort I'm just there with my own thoughts and just doing my own things I have some time to just decompress. decompress yeah yeah you need it and so um yeah there's there's you know there's a lot of that that I, I think it's really important because then you then you you can get centered and life gets very hectic and busy and absolutely you know like even I, I'm going through a move right now and I notice myself off of my like I'm not at equilibrium right now like I'm more on like a stressor behavior and I notice there's a change in in how I am um, on a day-to-day basis and I don't like that and so because I recognize it I'm like okay I can't put some things to the side like you know i need to make time yep. for those things so that i get back to equilibrium yeah, i think it's my my wife talks about you know filling your cup because mm-hmm. once your when your cup's filled it's easy to you know pour over oh, for sure. everybody else you and get really some and you get some but yeah. if you have any left over then yeah. it's like i'm dehydrated i need more water we, we went through this uh process with a leadership company out of orange county here called evolution mm-hmm. I, f- I forget what the personality trait one we did with her was called you know you do all these right but uh, it gave you like your solid state mm-hmm. personality, then it gave you your stressor state. And it was really interesting because, you know, it really nailed who you were under like severe distress. Mm-hmm. And then it, we educated each other so we could recognize like what state of mind are each of the people we interact with doing and is it good or bad? And how do we, how do we engage them when they're in either state? You know, and it was like, it was really powerful because I'd never thought about the context that we kind of have two personalities like when we're super happy and not stressed and a different one when we are and once you are made aware of it it's like oh i can really interact with people differently knowing where they're at we do we we did a berkman so we'd have something similar here where everyone on the team had done that as well but yeah i think it's great really great to recognize that like and even like recognizing it within ourselves yeah because then you can correct that right right like if someone else is super stressed out you can just you know try to like tiptoe around them but it'd be really nice if they you know just got back to where they needed to be so that everyone could just be normal yeah Yeah. versus having to be on eggshells right the entire time well awesome um we just have a few questions left What is the fashion trend that's going in the wrong direction? There's something called slothing, and there's um, there's. Do you know what slothing is? No, no. It's like where you put like gel everywhere, and it's just like you look like a sloth. Like it's just like gel everywhere. And then, as you guys may recall, in the '90s, where it's like the the. Um, Oh, everything from the 90s is coming back. Those ugly <laughs> shoes. Oh, yeah, my the, daughter's in all this stuff. I'm like, oh, this is horrendous. The, the low-rise jeans where where it's just, yeah. it's it's awful. And yeah. the jelly shoes, they have jelly Prada shoes. And like, people are paying $1,000 yes. for those. It's awful. I blame Stranger Things. <laughs> like, Stranger Things, I feel like, started that. Now my daughter dresses like the Stranger Things. And all her <laughs> friends, I'm like, why is this happening? Like, this, <laughs> this should is a never Stranger come thing back. that's happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mia, did you know what slothing was? 
Okay. Well, we, you we all learned don't something. Don't ever new. do it. Just, you know what? Just don't. Don't <laughs> Google it. <laughs> don't Google it. <laughs> all right, next question. This will be an interesting one. If you sent a text to the current president, what would it say? We, we must repeal the China tariffs, not can we. Were you in? When are you going to repeal the China tariffs? You weren't with us in, with Pompeo in New York, were you? Yeah, I was. Okay, yeah. That was mm-hmm. really interesting. That was, we were there in New York together for the Navy SEAL ball. Yeah, right. Pompeo. Little did we know, it was the epicenter of COVID. We all went home, and then it was like, New York we'll, shut down, COVID. Well, remember when we were like, when we got there, like Times Square was full, and by the time we left, it was empty. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know we were in Times Square. The next morning after the gala or ball or whatever, I walked out, and somebody asked me to take a picture of him. And there was <laughs> nobody out there, right? Naked I'm like, sure, and I take a picture of him. I'm like, why'd you want a picture anyway? They're like, we've never been to Times Square. I'm like, Oh my God, this is Times Square. And we Nobody's didn't realize here. we were at ground zero of mm-hmm. COVID yep. at the time. It was yeah. amazing. Yeah. Good times. Uh, <laughs> so this is a hard one. Um, favorite and worst food? Uh, worst is like durian, which is a fruit that smells disgusting. Oh yeah, um, it does. It's horrible. Favorite? I usually love a really great pasta. Right. Especially in the holiday season, pasta, I feel like pasta is an Italian food just mm-hmm. matches that. Like a bolognese. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all-time favorite net Netflix show? Or any show, I guess. But people are always looking for the next Netflix craze. This is awful because I only watch Hallmark movies. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll tell you why. This goes into the whole self-care thing because, you know, they talk about, like, what – you whatever you digest and what you bring in like what you right. see you're manifesting here. it yeah so there's so much stuff that we were already you know we're getting thrown at us that we may or may not like and so so all-time favorite hallmark movie oh, is the pivot i don't know where the all-time like i don't i don't know the names of them but there it's a christmas one of some sort it's right. a happy ending okay <laughs> someone falls in love and they get married and it's a happy ending all right perfect <laughs> all right this one's fun um most um, overrated place you visited and the most underrated place you visited from traveling. Cabo and Cabo. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Well said. Depends on where in Cabo you yeah. are. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so I, I know you're not afraid to check off the bucket list, but what's left or at the top of the bucket list that you haven't checked off yet? Okay, I would love to have boys to men at like a private party, or Nukes on the Block, or both, at a private party for me at some point in time. Oh my gosh, we got to get connected to Wayne. Wayne, yeah. Oh my God. Who's uh, Wayne? He goes, so Wayne goes on New Kids <laughs> on the Block cruises. Yeah, literally. Cruises. <laughs> literally. I don't want to be stuck with like that many 40-year-olds, 40-year-old women, um, but... No, but it's it's Rick's boss. It, he came, they came he out. He goes out. on all the cruises? Like Not all, but he he. It was a bucket <laughs> list that he checked the box. Did he like on. it? Yeah. Oh my gosh! Like we'll we'll, we'll put you guys in contact. Like okay. They have a lot of iHeart Radio contacts, so maybe they can make it happen for you. <laughs> we'll pay for the, the experience, but yeah. So. So uh, what's next for you or for the company? Um, I feel like there 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 are some things that we need to achieve as a company like we, we're very fortunate to have an amazing amazing team of people there's you know some other metrics that we want to like 
figure out as a company to become more well-rounded as a whole with you know distribution, um, product mix, some things like that. So it can be a nice, well-oiled machine. You mentioned you were double, you're planning a double next year in, in stores. We have, we have some really cool opportunities. So like for, as a brand, we have different products, right? But then we have our more luxe brand that's called Manic Adar Beauty. Then we have our value channel brand that's called Goddess. So those are like really, really affordable luxury items. And so next year we have opportunities with some retailers that have, I mean, major, major, major doors. So it's not like, I, I always say it's not the sexy thing to do. Like it's sexy to be at Ulta or Sephora, right? But you know, these value channels, believe it or not, like the, the volume is tremendous. And maybe uh, like, like a Rite Aid or something like that, or what? Like, like a Dollar Tree. Okay. Yeah. You know, dollar, dollar stores or Dollar General or, you know, I mean, it's, it's really, really incredible. Like the volume that, that goes through there. Um, and it just goes to show like, that's really where the population is. Like you talked about, you know, where you came from, it's like not everyone shops at Nordstrom, Neiman Marcus, that's just a small fraction. Like totally. the majority of the world, you know, they buy from these retailers. And I mean, it really actually does go back to like the roots of like, you know, we didn't, we didn't have a lot. Like how do I give, you know, men, women, pets, children, like, you know, these really cool products that they can be proud of and not just, you know, a lot of times in those stores, you're getting products that are they're okay. Like they look okay. They work okay, but they're not great usually you don't go to your friends like i got this awesome thing from the dollar store like doesn't happen all the time so i think we can do that in beauty and and gabe's frenchie is gonna have a makeup product too we soon have or? Cut products oh you do oh where are they we have cut products i didn't know that yeah it's called hot dog what, hot dog just what what's a pet makeup product there is no pet makeup so it's like um it's it's uh <laughs> it like shampoo sm- and things nice. like that yeah yeah shampoo if refreshers, sprays, that kind of stuff. I don't, when my dogs come back from the groomers, they put powder or something on them that makes them smell it's totally like, different than when I do. Yeah, it's like for breeze for dogs. Oh, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> so, this, right. so the next part is about really about reflecting back when you look back um, and you're reflecting on your journey and you're talking to your younger self, uh, what kind of advice would you give uh, your younger self? now that you know given what you know now i would say it all works out and it gets even better it gets keeps getting better and better so despite whatever challenges are in front of you just it'll work out stay the course stay the course passes yeah yeah i like that so the show is called uh discover the mana difference add the (laughs) mana in there for this episode uh so with that in mind like what out of all the things, you, you know, you give us a lot of sound bites, but out of all those things, what's the secret sauce to Mana Kadar? I think it's, you know, s- s- stop talking, start doing. I like that. Take action. Take action. Do something about it. And, and I think there's always, there's always a solution for a problem. Yeah. You know, so let, let's find the best solution. Let's create opportunity from it. Awesome. That's awesome. great advice. Yeah. So where can people find you if they want to get your makeup, they want to get your bath products, where, where can they go? So they can go to manicadarcosmetics.com or they can Google us. There's so many retailers that they can find. And then if you guys want to follow us on social, it's uh, at manicadarbeauty on all the channels. Awesome. awesome. Thanks so much, Mana. We Thank really you. enjoyed our time Thank and uh, look forward to getting this produced. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thank you.